Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen on May the 3rd, 2023. If you don't already have your plans in place for tomorrow, it is the National Day of Prayer. I encourage you to find a National Day of Prayer event near you or participate in one online or you still have time to organize one. You can invite other people to join you. You can download resources at nationaldayofprayer.org. Um, have you ever been to a coronation? Now, before you say no, take a deep breath and pause and ask yourself, have I ever watched a king enter a city and crowds cheering? And have I ever seen that person anointed and crowned and ascended to a throne to reign Have you ever been there when a king took upon himself the weight of the glory and the responsibility of a crown? What does it mean to be a sovereign over a people and a place? Now, obviously, I am asking these questions in anticipation of the coronation of Charles III um, as king of the United Kingdom and the other Commonwealth realms uh, scheduled to take place this Saturday, May the 6th, 2023 at Westminster Abbey. But of course, I'm also pointing to Jesus. And so as a Christian, I want you to be thinking through this in anticipation of the events that the world, that will absolutely capture and captivate the world this weekend. We're going to talk at length about this tomorrow with Glenn Durer, but I wanted to just make a few few comments about it today because there is a correlation here. Um, And I don't want you to miss it. And so I want you to be prepared to see things that you might not otherwise have been prepared to see. So this is going to be the first coronation that most people in the Western world have witnessed in terms of a sovereign of the United Kingdom and its Commonwealth realms, um, because the last time one took place was in 1953. I also think this is a great opportunity for Christians to make much of Jesus, So it gives us the opportunity to talk about why the event is being held in Westminster Abbey. Like, let's talk about that. It's not being held at a football stadium where, you know, more people could attend. It's not being held at a government building. Um, Did you know that while this is the first coronation of a British monarch in the 21st century, it's the 40th, it's the 40th one to be held at Westminster Abbey. Every person who has risen to the calling of king or queen of the United Kingdom, of Britain, for nearly a thousand years, has knelt in a place designed to exalt the king of kings and the lord of lords. 
to take the responsibility and the privilege of serving in the highest office in the land as the servant of a king of another kingdom. This has been going on since William the Conqueror's coronation in 1066. Think about that. Now, the world's going to be watching this event. And there will lots to be, you know, people directing your attention to all kinds of things. So I want you to be watching for the signs and the symbols and listening carefully to the words. This coronation service has been altered from past British coronations. This coronation will not be exclusively Christian. It's going to represent multiple faiths, many cultures, communities across the United Kingdom. It's also going to be shorter than the coronation of Elizabeth in 1953. Why? Because our attention spans are shorter and we have, uh, you know, we're a TikTok world. So as commentators note the alterations to the service, I want you to consider like the alterations that Jesus made to the script that the Jews had been reciting and reenacting on the Passover for a thousand years. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples, he should have been following a script, but he altered it. As you watch the arrival and consider how Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey to shouts of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, I want you to consider the protesters and the naysayers that will surely be there on Saturday. There were angry crowds attendant (laughs) in all generations. I want you to consider the conditions under which Jesus was crowned king of the Jews by the Roman powers of the day. I want you to consider the mantle that Jesus took upon his shoulders as you watch robes placed upon a king and a queen of this realm. I want you to consider the anointing of Jesus with pure nard as you watch Charles anointed king of a people under the sovereignty of God. Consider the crowning of Christ with twisted thorns as you watch Charles crowned with what we call the crown jewels. Consider the ascent of Jesus to the cross and then his ascension into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father as you watch Charles ascend the steps to be seated on a throne representing his assumption of temporal power, but don't miss the setting of that throne. Note how far beneath the cross of Westminster Abbey that throne is set. Note that the throne that Charles takes sits below the communion table. It sits below the pulpit, and it sits below the cross. My friend, Temporal kings rule for a time over temporal kingdoms. We have uh, remained, um, we've been reminded of this by these kinds of ceremonies. Rome believed in no God but Caesar, and a Roman procurator named Pontius Pilate crucified a man named Jesus under a sign that read King of the Jews. And the Jews protested, denying the lordship of Jesus, but the power of the state prevailed and the sign remained and a man stripped and beaten wearing a crown of thorns ascended to a throne to win for himself a people and reign over a kingdom that has no end i'm a citizen of that kingdom and i bow my knee to none but christ how about you we'll be right back with bill english this is mornings with carmen 
Bill English is joining us now. You can find what we're talking about at BibleAndBusiness.com. Good morning, Bill. Well, good morning, Carmen. All right. Families go into business um, with each other for lots of reasons um, over all kinds of periods of time. Generation to generation, those become family businesses. And then sometimes there are disagreements, and those are not always resolved in the ways that they should be. And members of families take each other to court. Can we just talk about families suing each other? It's really ugly. Uh, Most people don't know that about 70% of businesses in America today are owned by families. And uh, yes, um, I, I have friends in the legal industry that make their living off of shareholder disputes that are actually families suing each other. So wrote an article uh, a few years ago called Justice is Never Enough, that even if one family member sues another and whether they win or lose is really beside the point, the only way to keep the family together is for those who feel that they have been wronged to forgive each other. I have two different, uh, you know, in my day job kind of thing, I one of the things I do is family business conflict. And I have two families right now where Uh, they're headed towards lawsuits if we can't get uh, resolution to their problems and to their conflicts. And in both situations, I'm suggesting, uh, actually rather strongly, Carmen, that, that the parties who feel wronged at some level are going to have to just simply forgive and move on, that the, that the court system may provide justice in a kind of a financial sense to them, it's never really going to be able to resolve their emotional and their um, grudges, if I can put it that way, the, those issues. Um, the only person who can do that is Jesus Christ, and that's through forgiveness. So, yeah, it happens It happens a lot more than what people think, and it really ruins families. It just drives wedges into families that I don't. it, it takes generations to, to uh, get rid of. Yeah, there's a heart. There's a there's a heart conversation um, to be had here. There is a value conversation to be had here. Um, do I value my relationships with the members of my family more than I value those you know commas and those dollar signs? Um, and you know, I think that there are all kinds of situations in which you know money money becomes. Um, the thing that the family is about, or its, or its properties, or its influence, or whatever, and it, and it doesn't. Those relationships are not the primary um, strength, and so strengthening those bonds is really, um, really critical and important. Can we talk next about the power of forgiveness and the, um, the essential role that forgiveness plays when you're talking about reconciliation in these kinds of situations? Uh, yeah. So are you talking about after the break? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's that fine. Great. All right. We're going to, um, sometimes you view transitions as unfair or unjust and you don't like what's happening in your family business or in other, um, you know, kinds of family relationships. I think this extends beyond being in business together. This conversation is relevant to all of us who have siblings um, and are anticipating, you know, a transition in terms of, well, who who's going to be the oldest generation and who's going to do what at that time? Um, we're talking with Bill English and we are talking about the pain that is uh, inflicted and caused in families when they sue each other. 
But we're also going to talk about better ways forward and how um, even unfair transitions can be can be pursued in a way um, that's that's good and godly. So let's talk a little bit about forgiveness up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great Faith Radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. We're continuing our conversation with Bill English, and we're talking about um, the way families get divided, uh, particularly when there is a generation-to-generation transfer of a family business. Can we talk a little bit, Bill, about when we think we're pursuing fairness, like what is that and what does that mean? And then the real need is to pursue forgiveness and what I might call mutual flourishing. Yeah, you know, what what I've observed is that is that these these disputes that people attach dollar values to? It's it's really rarely about the money. Mm. Um, so it's really about was I treated fair by my dad or my mom? In other words, my my parents in the whole estate settlement, or did one of my siblings uh, get a lot more than I got? And the fairness piece, uh, from my observation, bleeds into. Am I loved the same that my, you know, in in, in the same quality and in the same uh, levels that my siblings were? And a lot of times the the senior generation attempts to be fair, but they also want the business to survive. And they, for lack of a better term, they pick one or two of the siblings uh, to own the business. And that results in an inherent view of unfairness by the siblings. They feel less loved. They don't think it's fair, and so they start to attach dollars to this as a way to try to achieve some fairness and and some level of claim that I am still loved. Um, it's really sad in, in, in a lot of ways, and my heart goes out to both parties, uh, both the siblings who receive the business and those who don't, or the siblings who receive more and those and those who don't. Uh, and and it does drive wedges between the siblings, and it oftentimes drives wedges between the parents, even if they're deceased, and, and the kids who felt um, like like they were not treated fairly. Mm. The only way I know around that, yeah, I mean, you can have some financial settlements there that might help, but the only way I know around that is is uh, two things. One is is the forgiveness, like we're talking about this morning. The second one is to realize that the love of God. The love of Jesus Christ should be able to be enough to say, it, you know, I'm loved by, I wasn't loved by my parents the way that they loved my siblings. Even if that's not true, that's how it will feel to some siblings. But I know that the love of God replaces that and or augments that or over or, or supersedes that, so to speak. And that, and that the love that I have from God is fabulous. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. It's marvelous. And it's fulfilling. And when I know I'm loved by God, then I'm really able to um, forgive others because I already have the best uh, that life can offer, and that is God's love. And so that's kind of how I approach that, Carmen. And and um, that's I probably haven't brought that out in the article the way I wish I had, but maybe I should <laughs> rewrite the article a little bit. <laughs> Oh, you know, everything deserves updating, right? I mean, you know, there's right. there's uh, the way that we grow 
over the course of time in our own discipleship. And it's not that our changing on something uh, or our thinking on something changes, but parts of it are um, amplified by events in the world or or new experiences that we have had. And we're like, oh, you know, there's a thread I could I could draw out there. Or there's something that I've learned that I want to add to that. Um, when you when you talk about the way around the the very, very human sort of calculations of equality or even that which is equitable and making sure that everybody's getting their fair share. Um, You know, we all know people who want to make sure that literally every kid gets an equal, a physically equal number of gifts and that, um, you know, and, and that as they go grow older and are able to place dollar sign value on those things that, you know, there's a sense that everybody's getting their quote fair share. Um, That's, that is training our children to behave this way when we die. And so I think that from very early on, letting children know um, that every single one of them is our favorite. <laughs> right? Yes, you're my favorite, and your sister is my favorite, and your brother is my favorite, because in God's, by God's design, like that's who he is as father. He loves us each and every one um, with, with all the fullness of his love. And each yeah. and every one of us have equal access to the Father, and all yeah. things belong to God, and we're just managers and stewards of those things. And yes, yeah, some of us have more things than others, but frankly, then we have the responsibility of of using them to God's glory and, and for His kingdom advancement in ways that people who have fewer things are responsible. So, there, so there's this responsibility that comes with financial stewardship, and I think I would add as well, Bill, that um, if I'm living, recognizing that I'm first and foremost a child of God and a citizen of His kingdom, um, that that here that in the here and now, um, I'm I'm not only just a sojourner and a pilgrim, but I'm merely a steward or a manager of of the things that He has entrusted to my care, and His grace is all sufficient, and the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory yep. and grace. Yep. There's a like there's a profound conversation to have, particularly when we're talking about Christian families who are taking each other to court over these things. You know, when uh, when my two kids, uh, David and Anna were in high school, I think he was a senior and she was a sophomore. Um, I I pulled him aside one night and I just said, you know, um, growing up, I always kept things equal between the two of you. If I gave one $10, I gave the other one $10 or $5 or whatever it was. I said, but moving forward, I will always be fair with you two, but I will not always be equal. Mm-hmm. And uh, that has served our family well, because with David in seminary and Anna now living in Phoenix and, and you know, kind of carving out her own life, um, the type of help that they need is different and the amount of dollars are different and the amount of my attention is different. And so I've been very fair with both of them, but it hasn't always been equal. And that's a good thing for people to learn is that God's provision for me and his call on my life is sufficient for him to be pleased with me. And as long as, as long as um, I am, seeking God's favor first, then what he gives to other people in in many ways should be 
irrelevant to me because my my favor is found in God and, and his provision and his call is sufficient for me. Yeah, the story of the father and the two sons um, in Luke is, is brought to mind here. I mean, we call it, you know, right. the story of the prodigal son, but it this, the story of both of those boys is really important, and um, and so is the story um, of the father over it all. Hey, Bill, as always, what what a delight to catch up. Thank you so much for this this feast of a conversation today. Well, you're welcome. I I thoroughly enjoyed it, Carmen. It's always good yeah. to talk with you. Likewise. You guys need to check in with uh, Bill English, bibleandbusiness.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's take a brief break for Breakpoint. How are you feeling today? Uh, The Surgeon General of the United States has declared a public health emergency, but it's not COVID. It's not fentanyl. uh, It's not opioids. It's loneliness. It's loneliness. We've been talking about the loneliness epidemic around the world. Um, we've, we've touched on issues of uh, loneliness in Japan and in Great Britain. Um, the Surgeon General of the United States says loneliness poses risks as deadly as smoking. He actually said more than that. Widespread loneliness in the United States poses health risks as deadly as smoking, up to 15 cigarettes a day. Um, It doesn't just cost the health industry billions of dollars a year, which obviously is the Surgeon General's concern. Um, He said, I'm I'm declaring this the latest public health epidemic, about half of U.S. adults. So half, half of U.S. adults is a lot of people. If it's not you, then it's like literally the next person you see. Half of U.S. adults say they've experienced loneliness. Um, Are you lonely? What does that look like? What does that produce? Um, What are you doing to address that? What can you do? What might you do? We're going to talk with Clarence Schuler next. His book is Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Charles Schuler is joining us now. His book, Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. Charles, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. It's glad to meet you. Thanks for uh, having it's me. A, yeah, absolutely. It's so, it's so good to have you here today. So um, the Surgeon General of the United States is calling on, just listen to this list, workplaces, schools, technology companies, community organizations, parents, and others to make changes that will boost the country's connectedness. He wants us to join community groups, put down our phones, um, and start catching up with friends. He wants employers to think about um, their remote workers, and he wants health systems to provide training for doctors to recognize the health risks of loneliness. Missing in all of this um, is not only the church, but the spiritual realities um, of, of the darkness that he's trying to address. Could you mm. speak out of your own personal experience and b- bring us 
I don't know, maybe a perspective on the numbers, maybe talk about the rates, um, particularly among African-American men, um, uh, and just what's what's happening in the culture today on this loneliness, depression, anxiety front? Well, with African-American men in particular, uh, we are have rated just recently, because someone asked me to contribute to their book, uh, as the number one group that's more depressed than anyone else. And then it's men in general, then it goes on after that. Um, you know, a couple things, Carmen, that, that I think is really important from a spiritual perspective uh, is uh, is this whole idea of how God sees us. And I think a lot of people have this poor self-image that we're not worthy. And, and, and then with social media, a lot of times we get really wounded. But in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it is God with the Trinity. And he says, let's make some humans. And the whole idea was going to make us as humans. He knows we're going to make mistakes, but he wanted us anyway. And he made us anyway, knowing we're going to be imperfect, which I thought was really pretty powerful. So for anyone listening today, the God of all creation wants you, even in our imperfection. The other thing I thought was really interesting is that it says he made us in his image or he gave us his DNA. And because God's given us his DNA, we have value, we have purpose, and we have a destiny. And then the last thing in those verses, uh, verse 28, first word, in 20, verse uh, 28 of Genesis 1, he said he blessed them. And that word means wow. And that means, Carmen, every time God looks at us, whether we know him or not, he goes wow because he sees reflection of himself in us. And I thought it was so cool. And so what does that mean? It means that we have self-worth, not self-worship. So we have value. So we need to sort of look at ourselves in a different perspective. And I think if we can do that, I think that's really important. Um, another thing I think that for me in my own depression, um, I didn't want anybody, I didn't want any cliches. I was just really struggling. And somehow my counselor, uh, Dr. Monique, made this statement. She says, you know, when you're in a dark place, your dark place, God's with you in that dark place. So your dark place can be a holy place. And that sort of gave me hope that I wasn't by myself, that the God of all creation is with me in my dark place. And so when I began to change just a little bit the way I think or the way I see myself, that can begin to give me some hope. And so I, I think those are some really important things that can help us. Uh, other very little simple things that can help us will be things like uh even going outdoors or, or you know, to mm -hmm. be in the sunlight, uh, to see other people. And sort of counterculture is to try and help somebody who can't necessarily give you something in return. And when we're trying to help other people, maybe particularly senior citizens, uh, their wisdom can be a great gift to us. But it just, when we help other people, it tends to make us feel good. And then we bless them. And then we also, we can begin to create our own community. So I think... Those are some things we have to look at and begin to say, I, I do have some value. I do have value. And what does that mean? And then how can I help someone else? That can take our mind off our loneliness at the time. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the practical encouragement, um, you know, to get outside, like actually, you know, and if you're saying to yourself, I can't, I can't physically go outside. I'm too anxious. Um, I'm too depressed. Okay. Move your chair to the to the, the spot the cat would lie, would be lying in. Like, right, go, go to the sun spot that's coming through the window and sit in the light. Like, like you know, um, I, I had a friend, um, Betty, who's, uh, whose son took his own life tragically. And um, 
and one of the things Clarence that she just she just it just broke her it just broke her mm. and um and the Lord spoke to her in her dark place at at some point and said Betty you got to get up in the dark you you're gonna have to get up in the dark I'm mm. the light is shining and the sun has risen and you're gonna have to get up in the dark and so every day since then she has in obedience. Mm. Literally gotten up before sunrise and gone to the window that faces east. Mm. Because for her, like you, you got to get up in the dark. Um, and I and I felt that as you're giving us these like very practical encouragements: go outside, get into the sunlight, serve others, bless people, create the community that you want and need. Um, I know that if you're in darkness and isolation right now and you're depressed and anxious, you're saying to yourself, I can't do any of that. You can get up in the dark. I know you can. Like, you can do that one thing. Um, well, I love, I, I love that, Carmen, uh, because as a mental, there's, we, so we have to mentally override our emotions. And what you just said, mm-hmm. we're for your friend who's getting up. There's a mental toughness, but it's not. We don't have to do it by ourselves. Philippians four thirteen says, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me," and so we can ask God to help us get up and do this. Let me, let me share a verse that uh, may be helpful, and our book is really based on this. It's Isaiah forty five verse three, and it says this: "I will give you hidden tr- treasures, hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I would do this so you know that I'm the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name," and so. What it, what it said to me as I read that is that God has treasures in the darkness, secret riches. So being in a dark place is not necessarily a bad thing. And darkness is not necessarily bad. But what it also means is I don't have to fake being fine. And mm. so it, it takes some of the pressure off. But it also means that while I'm in this dark place, because God's with me, there are blessings and, t- and lessons I'm going to learn, life lessons that I'm going to learn in this dark place before I come out of the darkness. And I'm actually probably going to get healed in that dark place. So I think we need to re- revisit that, relook at uh, how we evaluate our this whole thing about darkness. And so if we're not on the top of our game every day, God's saying it's really okay. And here God is really taking time to consider our emotions and working through things. And mm, so, it's, so not our, it's not our initial response to thing. It's really the end result. That's so good. We're going to continue our conversation with Clarence Schuler. The book is Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. Listen to Isaiah 45, verse 3 again. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by name. Are you in a dark place? Might God have a hidden treasure for you there? We're going to talk about that next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. 
Continuing our conversation now with Clarence Schuler. The book is Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. Charles, you tell your own story. You share a lot. Um, it's very intimate and personal, and I appreciate that. Thank you for being so vulnerable. Um, maybe maybe let's just speak directly to a brother or sister right now who's in a dark place. Um, what is that like, and what questions do you know people are prone to ask there? Well, typically when you're in a dark place, uh, you feel like you're a failure. You feel like you some, somehow you've let somebody down or you've let yourself down or you're not pretty enough. You're not making enough money. You're not athletic, athletic enough. And all those are lies from the devil when it says that we're not this enough because God's really made us in a very special way, complete and complex and and marvelous. And, and God of our creation calls us marvelous. Um, but at that point in time, we can be so self-absorbed unintentionally. We just focus totally on ourselves. And so what's really great is, is that you have friends or people who care about you who try to love you. But sometimes in our darkness, as they're reaching out, we want them to kind of love us perfectly the way we want to be loved. And, and I think we have to give them grace and just know, hey, they care about us. And and sometimes uh, one of the things we talk about in the book is that sometimes people are considering death by suicide. And what we talk about in the book, we try to encourage anyone who's thinking about death by suicide is that more people love you than than you realize, and if they and even if they're not loving you perfectly, they really care about you. But if you would take your life, the pain it would cause <clears throat> that would that would devastate those who you leave behind. And a lot of times, when we just think about ourselves, we're not thinking about those we leave behind and how we would devastate them. You know, when people do that, uh, parents tend to end up in divorce. They tend to have health problems. They never ever recover and get over it. And in reality about sometimes when you're going through depression, uh, even though it seems like forever, life changes and things can be better. And one of my clients was actually in a bad situation for like 20 years, but then things changed. And now he's he's enjoying life and, and raising his son and watch his son get married. And so life changes. So so hang in there and wait, because a lot of times God's going to do things in the midst of that darkness. And, mm. and a lot of times the reality of it is, other people will have things worse off than we do if we just some, sometimes look around. So mm. I would discourage you in your darkness. It's not a bad place. It's a great time to think. And I, and I would ask God, you know, what's going on with me? Why am I struggling? And God, if you love me so much, and this is a fair prayer, God, send somebody to me to talk to me. Send someone who cares about me or help me reach out to someone. And so the same way, Carmen, you had your friend get up in the darkness to some extent, we have a little bit of a choice that we can influence the outcome of our life. And so if we take some small baby steps, uh, we can make a difference. Um, ask ourselves, what are my triggers? Why am I feeling this way? What sort of got me here? Um, I think to stop beating yourself up, maybe forgive yourself, uh, let go of the past, learn from it, but don't be a prisoner of your past. And so I think those are some things that could really help us in when we're in a dark place. One of the things, um, Charles, that I recognize is that um, you, because you have spent time in dark places, um, you have proximity to people who are in darkness um, in a way that maybe others who have, you know, skipped along in the brightness and light, <laughs> at least they think so, um, you know, they, they, they don't have that proximity. And so... Um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about um, where you land the plane here. You say that every day 
can be my best day. Um, I know you've got some tips for making each day our best day. Could you could you share some of those tips? Well, yeah, it's a great question, Carmen. Uh, well, one thing is that in order to have your best day, I would look at every every day as possibly my last day. And that's not to be morbid, but if I look at every day as my last day, then I want to live my last day with no regrets. And so as I approach today, I would just say, okay, what can I do to make sure I don't regret something uh, if I would happen not to have another day? And that and that really becomes a very positive thing. You look at things and say, hey, do I want to get things right with somebody else? Do I want to do this or that? Uh, so if you want to live every day as though it's your best day, live it as though, you're, as though it's your last day. And then you're not carrying a lot of things over. You're not being overwhelmed. The other thing is don't procrastinate. Uh which is easy for a lot of people to do. Don't just really do the things you, you think you need to do. Uh, try to make sure all your relationships are healthy as much as possible. Uh, even financially, if you can, begin to try and get out of debt. Uh, make an effort to be more kind with your words. Uh, be patient with other people, especially family. Uh, and this one's something you might like. Try and be a better driver. Uh, you know, I don't <laughs> know where you, where you are, but uh, you know, there's a lot of road rage. And the maddest people are typically the saddest people. And you can see that reflected in how people drive and selfish. So, so be courteous driver. If someone's trying to get in, let them, let them get in front of you instead of trying to race and keep them from getting in. And then if they get in anyway, then you get really frustrated. But if you choose to let them in, that's a choice. You say, oh, it's nice to let them in. Some people wave, a lot don't, but that's kind of a cool thing. Uh, don't violate your conscience and trying to please other people. And I just think those are some things that are really important. If you try and do some of those, one or two or three of those things, that can begin to make your day a better day. I, I like that. Um, and, and the don't violate your conscience in seeking to please other people, um, you know, I think of uh, in, in, in terms of a positive frame, if I'm, if I'm always seeking to please God, um, then I know my conscience won't be violated. And so if I'm, if I'm asking myself, prior to taking an action or speaking a word is is this actually godly in terms of being like good is this going to be edifying to people mm. or to this person or to myself and is it going to be glorifying to god um i think we you know the the seeking to please other people um is a is a tendency that we fall into because we're desperate for affirmation or attention or um or or to resolve some other, you know, immediate emotional felt need. Um, and so I appreciate that you're calling us to a longer perspective, um, a more true perspective. And so, yeah, thank you for that. The The, the portion of your book that where you talk about the battle of the mind um, mm. is really, really helpful. And so thank you for that um, as well. Well, and just one other thing, uh, Going back to Genesis one twenty six to twenty eight about self worth versus self worship, we need to learn to like ourselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, if, if you know, because if you don't like yourself, you you send off a vibe or feeling for people that kind of make people want to stay away from you. But if we like ourselves, that's actually an attractive thing. And if we don't like ourselves, a lot of times it keeps other people from liking us. So, so it's not worshiping yourself, but it, but we do need to start to learn to like ourselves, even our imperfections. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard somebody characterize that as in the, you know, in the ways that you are like God, like yourself. So, mm. how, you know, what are the ways that you're like God 
And if you don't find anything else to like about yourself, you could like those things. And then as those things grow day by day, because I'm going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit working within me to bring me into conformity with Christ, that I'm going to become more like Christ. Well, clearly God likes that. So um, the things, the, the ways in which I'm like God, you know, I can at least like those things. Mm. That's true. That's true. That's yeah. true. And, and and another thing to help curb our loneliness is, you know, a lot of times if we want friends, sometimes we need to be friendly. We need to initiate. We need to give mm. them first what we want from them. And sometimes what I try and do is uh, I, I think most people want to be loved. I think most people respond to God's love. And so what I do is try and love them with God's love. So so what does that look like? Well, I fly a lot. So when I sit down on the plane, I just simply say hello and say, how are you doing? And some people will eventually want to put their um, listen to their uh, movies or whatever. But some people want to have a conversation and talk. And you can just really bless that person by listening to that other person. And when you listen, it's communicating, I care about you. And a lot of times they'll be reciprocal and listen to you. And all of a sudden you got a free therapy session where you talk with a complete stranger about stuff you may never talk about with someone else. So it can just really be a neat thing or put a smile on somebody's face. That's so good. That's so good. Clarence, thank you so much. What a joy to meet you today. Um, and thank you for sharing your you know, your experience, your wisdom, um, your good, godly, brotherly counsel. The book is Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. Um, you can find Clarence online at Clarence Schuler, S-H-U-L-E-R, online.com. Clarence, bless you, my brother. Carmen, thanks so much for having me. God bless you as well. Thank you. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right. Um, yes, for those of you asking, I did not go to town yesterday. So I did not have occasion to seek out the person that I know God is sending me to seek. If you missed that conversation yesterday, I highly recommend listening to yesterday's program. Um, you can do so as a podcast, myfaithradio.com, or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. I recommend you subscribe to Mornings with Carmen if you don't do so already. Um, and grab yesterday's uh, yesterday's conversations because, yeah, one of the things that I talk about is having the sense that God's called me to do something, sent me somewhere, and I've been, I've, I've not been obedient. And so, yeah, it, obedience is the engine of transformation. And so if I desire to see my life increasingly transformed, then I got to be obedient to the things that God has already told me to do. So anyway, I'm, I have occasion to be in town this afternoon, and I am going to seek her out. And so, um, specifically pray that I would be able to find her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The seeker of the lost sends us then out in his spirit to seek the lost. So who is God sending you to seek today? Who is God sending you to seek today on behalf of Christ who came to seek and save the lost? He's not just the lover of our souls. He's the lover of their souls as well. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.